0: Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6, where Tim read for us earlier. We're gonna take a diversion from there and talk about many issues. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is addressing this after they had to remove somebody in uh, 1 Corinthians 5 uh, for sexual immorality that was taking place in the church. And... um, He's given the reason for this uh, separation. 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, think about what we just read. Here was somebody who was in church. He was having a sexual immoral relationship. Everybody knew about it. And Paul says, I'm not there, but this is what we're going to do kick the guy out and pray for the destruction of his flesh why this is the most important part that he may be saved implying what well he's going to church and he thinks he's saved and he's not and um, when we did this study on Wednesday evening Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 you know I really didn't like to write that letter it gave me no pleasure at all but I'm glad I did because you know what the guy repented. He turned around. And now Paul is writing and said, I want you to take that guy back into fellowship and make sure you love on him. Don't you dare treat him like a, a second-class um, believer. And, um, but that had to be done because everybody knew about it, but nothing was being done about it. And it goes on to say, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. For you gals who know how to bake bread, you know no, it just takes a little bit, stick it in your, your dough and it puffs up and permeates the whole body and that's what Paul's concerned about here so he said do it do it quick that's the reason I chose this for our text in chapter 6 because here we read uh, there's, um, these are strong, strong words and it's not just um, sexual sins that are involved here verse 9 Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Let that sink in. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicator nor idolaters, um, or adulterers or homosexuals or sodomites or thieves or covetousness or drunkards nor revilers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Simply stated, if this is a lifestyle, and I'm not talking like when King David blew it with Bathsheba. He repented, and it was a one-time thing. And his, um, he's known not as the guy who had an affair with Bathsheba, but he's known as what? A man after God's own heart. The sin was put away. What this is referring to here is an ongoing, continuing lifestyle. And if you think you can live this lifestyle and still go to heaven, then you're deceived. Is that clear enough? All right. Um, And the good news is, and such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. Now, in case I forget to mention this later, um, as it deals with the issue of homosexuality, one of the arguments is, well, there's nothing I can do about it, because, you see, I was born that way. And because I was born that way, there's really nothing I can do. Well, would you just think this through with me for a second? Let's say God created a person who is a male, and then he becomes a female. And he has nothing to do about it because he was born that way. And then we read here that if this is your lifestyle, you're going to be separated from God for all eternity. Does that make any sense to you at all? No. And it answers a question, and such were some of you. What is being said here is, no, you have a choice. You weren't born that way, and you can't use that as an excuse because the God that I know, the God of love, would never create a person as a homosexual and then judge him for all eternity in separation from him. Now that's just common sense thinking as I, I think it through. That's not the God That I know. So, this one verse here, and such were some of you, but you were washed. But it doesn't just deal with those two. Um, Where we're going this morning is covering a lot of things that are going on in the world today. And uh, this morning we'll look at Lot. I've entitled this um, The Days of Lot. And we'll look at Lot in his times and the influence. It had on him emotionally and psychologically because I want you to know God's word deals with every issue of life and also the lateness of the hour as we're watching these things unfold. This morning we're primarily going to address these issues in verse 9, what it has to say about um, homosexuality, the LGBT how it's crept into our society. Remember when they used to say they came out of the closet? Well, they're out of the closet, they're marching in the streets and doing TV commercials. So we've come a long way, baby. And um, worse than that, it's crept into our public school systems where kids under 10 years old are being asked the question, are you a boy or are you a girl? And uh, the influence psychologically that it has on a person that is looking for guidance for people that they consider their peers, and we'll be talking about that. We'll also look at other signs in the world that tells us just how late the hour really is. But before we begin, honest question, I have to ask a question, because this is a very controversial subject. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? (laughs) I guess it's controversial. And it's simply this. Do you believe that God's word is the final authority on all of life's issues? Yes or no? Okay. The scripture says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. That's what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 5. For correction and instruction and in righteousness. You can be on that side of the thinking or you can be in the side that says, well, I agree with the Bible, but only the parts that I agree with. We laugh, but that's what the whole red letter group Christians are all about. What do you mean red letter white? I'm talking about red letter Christians. In other words, they believe only the things that Jesus said, not Paul. Not the Old Testament, only the red letters. If it's in red letters, then we believe that. So, with that as a background this morning, um, let's turn to the book of Romans and deal with the, um, what the scripture has to say with the issue of homosexuality. First of all, the Lord, in the first part of this is some of my favorite verses because some people say, well, I'm an agnostic or I'm an atheist, and I like to tell them, no, you're not. <laughs> what do you mean, no, I'm not? You can't tell me I'm not, I just said I was, and I said, no, you're lying. And better yet, you're suppressing what you know to be true. <laughs> and the reason I know that is Romans 1, verse 6, 18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they know the truth, but they're suppressing it. We're told because of creation, because what may be known of God is manifested in them for it has been shown to them. How has it been shown to them? Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Simply put, going out and looking at a sunset and say, uh, that's beautiful, but you know that just happened over billions and billions and billions of years that evolved into that. No, the heart of the matter is they know that there's a creator because of creation. So why don't they accept it? Simple answer. Um, If you're taking notes, John chapter three, it says that men love darkness rather than the light and they wouldn't come to the light because their deeds were evil. A lot of people won't come to the Lord today because they like sin (laughs) and they don't want to give it up. And so they suppress what they know to be true um, in unrighteousness. Okay, here's a good case for free will. God will go so far with people. Go back to Genesis 6. It said, man did evil continually. And then the Lord said, enough. And that was the days of Noah and we'll be going there. There is a line that only the Lord knows where God says, okay, you have a free will. You're determined to go in this direction and I'm going to let you go. I'm going to cut you loose. My spirit, it says in Genesis 6, will not always strive with you. Do you know that people that you're praying for right now, the Lord is answering your prayer? He's striving with them. He's wrestling with them. He's trying to get them to turn to him, but there comes that place where the Lord says if this is really the direction you're gonna go, verse 24, therefore God gave them up. To me, that's probably one of the scariest (laughs) scriptures in the Bible. The day the Lord says, okay, you can have what you want. In the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing things which are shameful. And receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. So the scriptures are here once a person is let go from the Lord, and he will let you go, and it shows that we really do have free will. Now, so far, I think the scriptures are pretty clear about what the scriptures say about these sins and being involved in a church and think somehow that you can still live this sort of lifestyle and everything is going to be okay. Everybody tracking with me so far? What I'm gonna put up on a screen right now is a map of Wisconsin and those denominations and churches that not only endorse it and have people in the church. Well, let me just clarify this here. Our homosexuals welcome at Calvert Chapel of Appleton absolutely you think they're going to stay after this morning's bible study <laughs> but do we give them the opportunity to hear the truth and love on them yeah that's the old saying you hate the sin and you love the sinner and we really do and we will speak truth to them and it's only a matter of time and they're going to do one or two things they're going to repent and be washed and be cleansed number one Are they going to harden their heart and suppress the truth and unrighteousness and say adios amigos? We just don't have the same manner of thinking and they won't stay. But are they welcome for the record? Absolutely. If you have um, people that live this lifestyle, invite them to church. All right, what you're looking at, and I'm going to name them right off, and um, many of these churches, the person behind the pulpit lives the alternative lifestyle, believe it or not. So, American Baptist Church, All Alliance of Baptists, Church of the Brethren, Community of Christ, Disciples of Christ, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, uh, The Fellowship, Mennonite Church, Metropolitan Community Church, Quaker, Presbyterian Church USA, Reformed Church in America, the Episcopal Church, United Church of Christ, United Methodist Church, and of course Unitarian Universalist, and that's just some of them that are located within our own state. The Pope has said gays are welcome in church, but priests cannot bless same-sex union. In other words, they won't marry them, but they can uh, be involved uh, with because this latest Pope, who I heard was rumored is going to retire in December I have to get that um, verified and make sure that I'm speaking correctly on that so take that with a grain of salt um, but he has become a universalist and a globalist and everybody's going to heaven and so with that I'm just going to leave that for our first one this morning and Because I've entitled this The Days of Lot, I would like to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 19. So let's make our way back to the time of Noah and Lot. And I'm going to go through and um, read some of it and explain other parts of it. Chapter 19 is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And unless I forget, um, I'll never forget uh, Billy Graham saying this. And this is while he was still alive. He said, if God does not judge the United States of America, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And that's what he said quite a few years ago. And it's come a long way since then. So as you look at chapter 19, of course, we have... The two angels came to Sodom, um, and that's where Lot was living. Um, And when Lot saw them, he met them and bowed themselves before him. Um, And Lot says to these two men, that are actually angels, Would you come and spend the night in my house? And um, I'll wash your feet that you may rise early and then you guys can go on your way. But they said, now, nah, uh, we're, st- we're going we're to stay and spend the night in the square. But Lot insisted strongly, so they turned to him and entered the house. And then he made him a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. And before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old And young, all the people from every quarter, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came into you tonight? Bring them out so that we may know them carnally. So Lot went to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, and this this blows my mind, I can't imagine this, but he says, See, I have two daughters who have not known a man please let me bring them out to you and you can do with them as you wish. And our thinking here is a little bit, because we're Gentiles, we don't understand the Jewish mindset. When you invited a stranger into your house, you became that protector of that stranger to the extent that um, they were Lot's responsibility. And he's taking that seriously. And that's why he's saying this here about his daughters. Um, Since this, the reason that they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in sojourning. Now these are the men that have surrounded the house. And basically they're saying, Lot, who in the world do you think you are? You came as a stranger to live here. And now you sit as a judge and now we will deal with you worse than with them. So they pressed hard against the man-lot and came next to break down the door. But the men, the angels, reached out their hand, they pulled lot in the house with them, and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so they became weary trying to find a door. And I go, say what? Okay, they're blind, they can't see anymore. But their passion and their lust was so strong, they still groped to try to find their way in. You know, if that would happen to you, don't you think it's time to say it's time to go home? Yeah, well, that's not what's happening here. They weren't giving up. They were were determined. So the men said to Lot, have you daughters? And whoever you have in this city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law. So I see he has four daughters, two that are married and two that are not. And his daughters then said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city But to his son-in-law, they seem to be joking. Okay, reality check here. What are we telling people right now? We're saying all the things that you see happening in the world, they are signs that Jesus told us to watch for. And he's going to come, and he's going to judge the earth for seven years. And uh, we want to tell you ahead of time so that you can escape what's about to take place on planet earth. Now when you tell people that, sometimes what is their reaction? This way here, they seem to be joking. Well, what's gonna happen? Well, we're just gonna disappear. You're just gonna what? (laughs) And um, it's, it's foolishness to them. And they say, nothing like that has ever happened before. And I say, excuse me, sure did. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, because God took him. He's only 365 years old, too. First first rapture, picture of uh, the rapture in the church. Happened to Elijah, too. Happened to Philip in the New Testament. Um, But they seem to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while they lingered, So there's not a sense of of, uh, we better get out of here and get out of here quick. They were dragging their feet. The men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters and the Lord being merciful to them brought them out and set them outside the city. And so it came to pass when they had brought them outside the city, he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said, please, my lords. Indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains. Let some evil overtake me and die. See now the city is near to flee to. It's just a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not just a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I, I have favored concerning this thing, and I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape. And this is a very important verse. For I cannot do anything until you arrive there. In other words, Lot had be out before judgment could come. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zorah. The sun had risen from the earth when Lot entered Zorah, and then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plains, and all the inhabitants of the city, uh, which grew on the ground. Just in recent years, they've discovered the remains of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's on the south. Um, east corner of where the Dead Sea would be and up just a little bit where they've claimed to find um, the remains. We've been to Israel many times and for years they just said, we don't know where it is. It's probably buried under the Dead Sea somewhere. But now the word is they've actually found the remains of Sodom and Gomorrah. 26 is important. But his wife looked back, Lot's wife, and she became a pillar of salt and so I'm going to leave that there. We have the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, because of um, the society that Lot lived in. But this is where I want to make it a little bit more personal. I want to go to Second Peter chapter 2. Not only tell you the facts of what happened, but how... Lot was actually feeling about his time emotionally and psychologically while he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. So Second Peter chapter two, picking it up in verse four. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Condemned them to destruction. Notice, making them an example. Huh. You mean the whole thing of Sodom and Gomorrah is an example for somebody else? Yep, that would be us. To those who afterwards would live ungodly. And notice verse seven and eight. And he delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed and the word there in the King James is vexed for those of you who have the King James Bible who was vexed with the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling amongst them, it tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So what was his heart condition? He was grieved. He was vexed. And this is where I want to, make things personal because we try to put on a big face I think and um, suck it up so to speak when, when we get up in the morning. I get up in the morning and to be honest with you we are living in the days of Lot and Noah and I'll be honest with you I am vexed. I am grieved. My soul is tormented as many as you are here also. And I want you to know, and this is really the main point of the Bible study, that it is normal, and it is biblical for you to feel exactly that way. How do I know? Because of Lot. He lived in an ungodly society, and what did it do to him here? Some of you are thinking, well, Dwight, what about Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. What about that one? Well, I'm glad the Bible deals with all issues in life. And I read in Ecclesiastes, if you're taking notes, chapter 3, verse 4, it says, there is a time to laugh, but there's also a time to mourn. And that puts the balance in what's the situation, what's the time that we're living in. And if this gets through to anybody this morning, it, it hit some of the guys at Men's Prayer yesterday right between the eyes. Because what I told them, what the morning's message was going to be about, is I, I said, if I feel this way, I'm vexed. And sometimes you feel like you're, you're going through a trial because you're going through a trial. <laughs> In other words, you shouldn't be going through a trial because you should know better. No, that's not the case. And I want to say from the pulpit that if your spirit is grieved, that's okay. And you're not a substandard Christian. How can you not be? How can you not be like Ron Paul and say, enough! I've had enough. And we need to stand up and say so. And I want you to know that if you are waking up and you're going, man, I'm bummed out, and I'm grieved, I want you to know that that's okay. And, um, uh, the, the Lord works all things out to the good. That's biblical. Uh, we were to rejoice always. Yeah, biblical, but let's keep it, what do we call it? In context. So in the context of our Bible study this morning, what we're reading here about the psychological and emotional effect of living in Sodom and Gomorrah, it says it vexed his soul how much? Daily. And so I want you to know if, if that's you, that's Okay. And um, the Lord has a plan and I'm working my way up to the, the, the ending that the Lord has for all of this. So we find there then this balance. Turn with me to um, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Let me draw your attention to 28 and 29. Luke 17 28 and 29, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in that day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he was on a housetop And his goods are in his house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not return. And then he says this, remember Lot's wife. In other words, we're living in a time when you don't want, I'll probably say this two or three times this morning. Why did she look back? Because that's where her heart was really at. And something went off when she thought, everything I had is no longer, and it's gone. And when she looked back, the Lord immediately turned her into a pillar of salt. I'm quoting now from J. Vernon McGee on these two verses. This is a tremendous thing our Lord says at this juncture. Lot is altogether different from Noah, yet there are similarities None in Sodom were panicking, selling out their property, getting out of town, stock market didn't collapse because Lot said that judgment was coming. They simply didn't believe it. God would not destroy the city until Lot had been taken out of it. Neither will he bring the great tribulation upon this earth which immediately precedes the coming of Christ to the earth until he takes his own out of the world. Can't do anything until I get you out of town, Lot. And McGee is is seeing that analogy in the same way that he cannot bring judgment on this world, we call it the great tribulation, until the church is gone. I'll continue to read from uh, McGee. It's interesting that he causes Lot as an example here. Here in Luke, it is a wider subject than what we find in Matthew 24, where I'm going to take you to next. Uh, because Sodom, because of her sin, stood on the brink of destruction, and the moment Lot left town, judgment fell. I believe the minute believers leave this earth in the rapture, the great tribulation will begin. And then I wrote my own personal, I do too. And that's the way I see the scriptures uh, unfolding. Um, Turn with me to Matthew 24 and get a little different perspective of this. I'd like to tie this into just how late it really is. And we'll be coming. uh, Do I want to go here now? Let me see. Yeah, we can go here now. First of all, Um, there's always been times of tragedy upon the earth. Um, The difference in our generation is found in the parable of the fig tree and why this is applicable to this generation rather than any other generation, the things that I'm going to be talking about besides um, Lot. The parable of the fig tree is... um, symbolic of the nation of Israel. And basically the disciples had come to Jesus and tell us, said, what will be the sign, okay, of your coming? What will be the sign? Notice that it's singular, not plural. And then he goes on and talks about, and we'll be getting into detail on this, about wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and so on and so forth. Those are signs, plural. But the question was, what will be the sign singular and he tells the parable of the fig tree Um, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves and you know that summer is near well the leaves are changing colors and they're going to fall off so what do we know it's Labor Day weekend (laughs) summer's over we're entering into a new season so also when you see all these things know that it is near even at the door Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. So um, the Lord's coming at the rapture of the church, one of the things that has to be in place is Israel once again has to be back into the land, and they just celebrated their 73rd anniversary of being back and um, so what is a generation As a question I don't know <laughs> um, Edgar Wiseman wrote a book in 1988 said 88 reasons Jesus is coming um, in 1988 I heard, I heard the book didn't sell very well after that <laughs> and then we have um, a generation um, Man's life, three score and 10, 70 years. Then we read that the children of Israel were in Egypt for four generations. Well, how many years were they in Egypt? 400 years. So what is a generation? I don't know. I know that they're there and it's been 73 years. And then it goes on to say, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. This cannot be a reference to the second coming of Christ which is at the end of the tribulation period. It can only be a reference to the rapture of the church because I know to the day um, when the Lord is coming, not only for the first time, that's Daniel chapter 9, but also to the day, if you read the last... mm, Three or four verses of Daniel 12, it tells you to the day when Jesus arrives the second time. But what about the rapture? I think the Lord is so gracious, long-suffering, and patient. I think he should have come a while back. But he's long-suffering, and he's not willing that any should perish. How many of you have been saved in the last 10 years? You don't have to raise your hand, just think it through. And what if the Lord would have come 11 years ago or a year a year before that? Aren't you glad he's long-suffering and patient? That's what's going on right now. So it's going to be, I think, a snap decision when the Lord makes it. That's why he didn't even know. But he gives us things to look for. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. This certainly cannot be a picture of the second coming. Why? Half the world's population is destroyed. Um, the earth has been plummeted by uh, hailstones uh, weighing 120 pounds. And earth is pretty much destroyed. You think there were any weddings going on that weekend? <laughs> no, it's, it's pic- picturing a picture of everyday normality okay and what we're seeing going away right now is everyday normality and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the son of man be two men will be in the field one will be taken and the other one left how many of you old Jesus people remember Larry Norman woo am I that old? holy smokes he <laughs> wrote a song I wish we'd all been ready and um, he uses these verses. Um, a man, and wife asleep in bed. She turns his head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. And um, that's what the picture is here. If I would bring it up to date, I'd read uh, two men were working at Walmart. One was taken and the other one was left. Two will be grinding at. Um, the mill, one will be taken and the other left. So what are we to do in light of this? Watch. Therefore, for you do not know the hour of your Lord's coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you be also ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. So these are rapture verses from the New Testament. But I want to give you an Old Testament one. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 26. Isaiah 26, looking at verses 20 and 21. Now as we teach chapter by chapter and verse by verse, I've pointed out many times. We just started, by the way, uh, we did the first six chapters of Isaiah at men's prayer yesterday morning, looking forward for the rest of the book, that it's not uncommon at all to have the prophet having a train of thought and then simply changing the train of thought completely. I'll just give you one example. Um, In Zechariah, it's talking about events with Israel, but all of a sudden it changes the subject and talks about Israel, behold, here comes your king, lowly, riding on a colt of a fold. And that's in verse 9. And it's a picture of Jesus when he came down on the donkey on Palm Sunday. Everybody with me? And then it goes to verse 10, and there's a gap between verse 9 and verse 10 of 2,000 years. The next thing it says, And he shall reign on the earth from sea to sea forever and ever and ever. Well, my friends, that didn't happen on April 632 AD when he was riding a donkey. And it hasn't even happened yet. But my point is this it's not uncommon for the prophet to have a train of thought and then just interject something. And that's the case here. Uh, verse 20 he says, Come, my people, enter your chambers. Can I just stop a second and remind you of John 14, where the Lord says, to them, uh, don't let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be, af- be afraid. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you can be also. And so I believe that's the same as here. Come, my people, enter your chambers. This is a place that the Lord is gonna prepare. And then it says, and shut your doors behind you and hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment. Well, what's a little moment? Seven years. When you're talking about 6,000 years of mankind being here, seven years is just, yeah, short, very, very short moment. Until the indignation is past, this is clearly one of the words that the Bible uses for the great tribulation. It can be called Daniel's 70th week. It can be called the time of Jacob's trouble. Jesus called it... um, the time of great tribulation such as never been nor will ever be again. And other places in the scripture, I believe it's eight times it's referred to as the indignation. So you guys stay in your chambers for a little while, seven years, until the indignation is past. Why? For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity the earth will disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. This is Revelation chapter six where in verse 17 it says that the tribulation is the wrath of the lamb. Everybody with me with that? It's the wrath of the lamb. Uh, The wrath that we experience today is from our adversary. And it's different because this is the Lord coming out of his place to bring judgment for that seven year period of time. Where's the church? Well, they're in their chambers. For how long? Until the Lord comes out and takes care of business. And then what happens? Well, just like Noah. What happened with Noah? Well, they got in the boat. Did I say that right, being from Wisconsin? The boat? Yeah, the boat, the boat. And he said it was gonna rain. And they blew him off for 120 years. How many converts believed him? None. Eight were saved. Only his family. And they had to go to church, you know? <laughs> so they're taking up, and what happens? Well, they're up. Judgment takes place. Um, it says that the waters were on the land for 150 days. And that happens to be five months the exact amount of time of the plague of locusts in Revelation chapter nine. And I don't think that's a coincidence at all for any of you that are serious Bible students and like to get into the details of these things. So here we have an Old Testament picture of it. Now I would like to look at um, a New Testament teaching and take you back to where we just were Matthew 24 but look at it from a different perspective and change gears just a little bit the last thing we read here is don't look back and make sure you're watching well watching for what is a question that I would bring up so let's look at Matthew 24 verses 4 through 8 Matthew 24 Verses four through eight. Jesus said, verse four, take heed that no one deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. So the first thing that we're to be looking for is wars and rumors of wars. I'm going to put something up on the screen right now. Wars and rumors of wars. Right now, boasted by China and Russia, Iran digs in on nuclear talks. Uh, as we speak, um, Israel is gathering its forces. You know that on one flank, they've been attacking Gaza. Uh, but on the Lebanon border, there also Hezbollah is bringing their troops in and Iran is bringing their troops into the southern Golan. I call that a rumor of war. And uh, I think we're very, very close to seeing um, Isaiah 17, the destruction of Damascus taking place because where these troops are gathering is outside the perimeters and boroughs of Damascus. And when I was reading about this particular article, they said Israel absolutely has to respond. And I'm guessing that uh, in this rumor of war that's bubbling up right now, we don't have to talk about Israel. What just happened in Afghanistan? Um, I'm not gonna take out my phone and and read the list of what is happening um, and what the Taliban is doing. And let me just bring this up too that you may or may not be aware of. Um, In Islam and Muslims and Muhammad and the teachings of Muhammad, um, if I told you to turn to a certain page in a book, you could go to the chapter and page. Well, it's it's the same with the Quran. And if I told you to turn to, I think it's Siri 224 or something like that, you know what it says? Lying is essential and necessary if it accomplishes the means of Muhammad. In other words, they're commanded to lie if it furthers the cause of Muhammad. And um, I hope they're teaching that at the highest levels because we've been lied to. And um, boy, I could get sidetracked on, on, on that war. And I'll restrain myself from doing, doing so. But we have a lot of people left behind Uh, People are dying every day. They are going door to door. I'll tell one story. They're looking for cell phones um, from people who were helping the Americans while they were in Afghanistan. And then they'll look at the, the list and if they see an American's name on there, they will punch that number. And if the person picks up on the other end, they'll put it on speakerphone and then execute the person that has it. And they're doing this door to door, and um, uh, this could escalate very, very easily into another war. I got to be careful because um, when it gets into the wars and rumors of wars, and we're the name of our prophecy conference is the Perfect Storm. Why? Because we have so many things going on all at one time. Our southern border. You know how many Afghanistans from the Taliban are down on our southern borders right now? And um, they're, they're, they're letting the bad guys out of jail. And they're sending them over here. And so we could talk about that. We could talk about the financial collapse. Um, it's been 50 years, two days ago, to the day that Nixon took the petro, the gold standard, off and implemented the uh, petrodollar. So up until that time, our currency was valuable because it was based on the gold standard. And that was changed um, just recently. Saudi Arabia and... um, Is it Nigeria? It's the 10th largest... um, oil producer in the world signed military agreements on the same day with Russia. We started the petro standard with Saudi Arabia. And when we did so, we made an agreement that the dollar is the only means of being able to buy oil from Saudi Arabia. And then it spread all the way around the world. And um, we've been on that standard for all this time. Uh, My brother sent me an email yesterday telling me that Russia is buying um, oil from Iran using the yen as its currency. Isn't that interesting? And so why is this happening? Because the world no longer perceives us as being strong enough to help them and we might turn tail and run just like we did in Afghanistan. So that's what's happened in Be a Berean. Do your homework on this, guys, but it's happening. So I'm just digging in another piece of the puzzle because I believe it's going to lead to an economic collapse. And I think the dollar is over um, as we're watching You know, the perfect storm come together. All right, got to move on. So verse 6, wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7 says, A nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. Uh, so let's put this up on the screen. How many of you heard about uh, the difficulty they're having in the Southwest with um, um, the heat this year? Uh, here, famine suck millions as acute hunger rises globally. And um, Geneva, the World Food Program, warns tens of millions of people, mainly in Africa are teetering on the brink of famine because of conflict, climate shock, economic downturn due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The UN Food Agency estimates more than 270 million people, most of them in Africa and the Middle Middle East, but we gotta include America because of what's happening in Northern California and the heat in Southern California. Around the world are acute uh, food shortages. And millions of lives are at risk of starving to death. And so you can do your homework on that one. Then the next thing that it mentions here is pestilences. Hmm, well that's interesting and it's taken on a whole new meaning in the last uh, year and a half. And let me put this up as a possibility. It says in the book of Revelation that men's hearts will be failing them for fear when they see the things that are coming upon the earth. And it talks about sorcery. But the word there actually in the Greek is pharmakia. And so is the world right now in fear, thinking about the things that could be coming upon them? So that might have, for years I always thought, well, it's it's the drug culture and that kind of stuff. No, let's take it on a whole new meaning because now it's global. And now we have uh, this man's hearts failing them for fear of thinking about what could actually happen um, in the world. Is, um, this will be addressed both by Elijah Abraham and J.D. Frog. Um, they're going to deal just with the issue and uh, we're actually going to have a Q&A with, with J.D. He'll be coming in from Hawaii and Elijah from Texas. But both of them are going to be speaking on the vaccine and, um, uh, and the pandemic in general. And can I just stop and pause and really encourage you guys. I really do believe this is the last one. And you have friends that are scratching their head right now and they know something's going on but they don't quite know what. These are the best of the best. Um, they are um, when I told J.D. this will be our 23rd annual prophecy conference he couldn't believe that we've been doing it for that long but I don't think there's going to be a 24 so take advantage of your friends um, even though they may roll your eyes at you and call you crazy say come on give me a break just come with me just because you're my friend buy a an ice cream cone like they're doing with those COVID shots or something You know, <laughs> whatever it takes right they might they might be more open than than what you think, and believe me, they they will get an earful. Is the pestilence the COVID, um, nineteen virus in verse seven? I don't know, could be, maybe not. But in this particular verse, in the prophetic Bible verses above, Jesus was referring to a baby's birth. He was explaining just as a woman contractions of labor t- pains get more frequent and severe as a baby is near birthing, so these events or signs will also become more frequent and severe as the world nears the second coming of Christ. I'll just leave that there. Let's go on to the next one. We've got uh, nations, rising against nations, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. I simply Googled, are earthquakes increasing in the world? I had 20, 30 pages to choose from. So I thought, i got to keep this short and sweet because of of the different topics that are here. So I'll just read this one. Are earthquakes increasing in frequency and intensity in 2021? Is the frequency of earthquakes increasing? Data compiled by the U.S. Government National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration shows that the number of earthquakes per year has seen significantly significant increase, but the overall trend shows increasingly frequently. So the answer to the question is yes, earthquakes are increasing. Turn with me to Luke chapter 21. And we're about through here. Luke chapter 21 in verse 25 tells us And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, and notice this, the sea and the waves roaring. We have just experienced, I'm getting different reports, that Ida was the most powerful hurricane ever to hit America. And I've heard other people say, no, it's number two or number three. And um, here we say that, see that one of the signs is the winds and the seas raging. Um, New Orleans was not that badly hurt. It brought back a lot of memories from 2005 when Katrina hit because we were very involved with going down there at that time. This time around, the damage was done from Philadelphia all the way up to New Jersey, up into Bangor, Maine. Uh, 30, they're counting 30 plus right now because they had like eight inches of rain in one hour in Philly. And you guys are watching the news so you know what I'm talking about here. Historical levels, never seen before. That's what they're reporting. And they're saying Ida, if not the most powerful one, is at least in the top three. So I would consider that the winds and the sea raging. On the way to church this morning, I had Judy Google. I said, I'm just curious. Um, Google, what was the hottest summer Wisconsin ever had? And guess what came up? June 2021 of this year. And so we have these weather changes, and uh, with it we have things that Jesus told us um, would be experiencing. And as a result, verse 26 Men's hearts failing them for fear for the expectation of those things which are coming on earth for the powers of the heaven will be shaken. All right. Let's go to um, what's happening in society as far as um, the homosexual community again not only being out of the closet but doing commercials And what bothers me most about it is this, is they are taking this into our public schools and are challenging our children 10 years and younger if they know if they're a boy or a girl. There's a time to get angry. There's a time to say enough is enough. And if you're a Christian, I don't know how you can send your your children to the public school system these, these times. And... I asked myself the question, I wonder what Jesus thinks of all this, but I already knew the answer before I penned it down. If you're taking notes, it's Matthew 18, verse six. The Lord said, but whosoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was drowned in the depths of the sea. You think that's pretty descriptive of being angry? Do you know it's okay to be angry? The Bible says be angry, but sin not. And there should come a point when, as we see all these things, this perfect storm coming together, when we stand up and say, All right, enough is enough. And be like Ron Paul. He's setting a great example. All right, in closing, what do we do in light of all these events? Well, number one, don't look back, don't be Lot's wife. Why? Because our world is never gonna be the same again as we knew it. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah was never the same again. So as we see these things approaching, don't look back. Number two, and probably the main thing I wanted to get across this morning, is if you're overwhelmed, remember the Bible says we're just unprofitable servants who have feet of clay. In other words, we're human. And when all this stuff comes pounding down on you on a daily basis and all you hear on the evening news is how bad those non-vaccine people are. That's who they're going after right now. We're, you're the bad guy right now. I'm the bad guy right now. And the necessity um, for you to understand that it's okay that you're vexed. Matter of fact, if you're not vexed by what's going on in the world today, then um, I don't think you're getting the big picture. But not only looking, don't look back, but let's look ahead and see if we can end this heavy study on a lighter note. Looking ahead, I'm quoting Titus 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation as appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope. Instead of looking behind, we look ahead for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what we have that the world doesn't have. And yes, we can be vexed, but at the same time, we have this, we know God's plan who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself and his own special people zealous for good works. Speak these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority and don't let anybody despise you. And in other words, take a stand. Okay. Uh, and not only what we should do, but... Again, how we should feel. And um, let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 5. Just two more verses to look at this one and we'll end with Isaiah. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First 11 verses. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Do you know that when Paul wrote to Thessalonians that your church was less than a month old? Think about that. We're talking baby Christians here. And yet he taught them every major doctrine, including eschatology, including the second coming, including the rapture. And he says, you yourself know perfectly well that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that they should overtake you as a thief. We should understand because of the signs just how late it is. You are sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch. Watch for what? All the things that we just talked about. And be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, the hope of salvation. Why? For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort one another and edify one another just as you're doing so the idea here is the lord's plan and again the last thing i'm going to read i'm turning my bible open right up to it is just these last two verses what's going to happen well it's really late my friends and the tribulation according to the signs that i'm watching for and see are unfolding right before our eyes would you agree with me with that on the other hand, that can be overwhelming and vexing. I want you to know that's okay. You're a human. But on the other hand, we have a bigger picture knowing God is sovereign, and what's really gonna happen is the two verses that we read earlier. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. How? It's called the rapture of the church. No man knows the day or the hour. And it's going to happen according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, that quick. And to a lot of people that sounds really strange but uh, it sounded strange in Noah's day when Noah said it was going to rain and it had never rained before. Just the same idea as it was in the days of Noah and Lot. We'll close with this. Some of you are saying, Dwight, you said that three times already. <laughs> but I promise this is it. Come, my people. Enter your chambers. Shut your door behind you. Hide yourself as it was for a little moment until the indignation is passed. For the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will also disclose her blood. And no more will they cover the slain. You have not been appointed to wrath. You've been appointed to a chamber where you're there for a little while. And after the seven years is over, what does the scripture say? The Lord is gonna come back with ten thousands of his what? Saints. We return with them in the same way that Noah came back after the flood was over. Good place for an amen? amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord I know this was a heavy study to take in but I think it was a relevant one in in the times in which we live and with the many pressures that people are under we thank you for the word of God and that um, we can take it as a final authority of what's taking place and somehow Lord it just brings us um, a stability of mind. It tells us it's okay like a lot to be vexed when we see all the corruption around us but at the same time lord we have this blessed hope so lord help us not be like lot's wife and look back and think that the good old days are going to be here once again they're not but we look forward to your kingdom that you promise that we would rule and reign with you we thank you for the blessed hope in jesus name amen